So last week, we picked up the book of Acts again. And if you were here last week, you'll remember that Philip ran over to the chariot of an Ethiopian official and heard him reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. And Philip shared the good news of Jesus with, uh, with this official. And uh, the Ethiopian was so excited that he wanted to be baptized right there and then. So that's what happened. They got down from the chariot and Philip baptized him. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says this to his followers. He says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what we saw Philip doing last week. The book of Acts shows us that Jesus' followers, the church, the body of Christ, is continuing Jesus' mission to the world. Jesus is at work in the world in and through his church. When Jesus was physically present with the disciples, he healed the sick and even rose the dead, uh, raised the dead. Uh, but that didn't all just stop when Jesus went to be with his father. Today we've heard how one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, did the very same things. Peter healed a paralyzed man called Aeneas, and he raised a dead woman by the name of Tabitha or Dorcas, although it wasn't Peter who did these things, it was Jesus working through him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can see that so clearly when we look at these miracles in more detail, because they are so similar to two of Jesus' miracles that we read about in the book of Acts, uh, in the Gospels rather. Think about the paralytic. Uh, who was lowered through the roof to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, get up, take your mat and go home. And then in today's passage, Peter says to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. This is clearly Jesus working through Peter. The similarities between the raising of Jairus' daughter that we've just heard from Mark's Gospel and the raising of Tabitha are even more obvious. When Jesus arrived at Jairus' home, uh, there was, uh, Jairus' daughter was dead, and there was a great commotion, people crying and wailing. And what did Jesus do? He sent all the mourners out. When Peter uh, arrived to pray for Tabitha, he did the very same thing. He sent the mourners out of the room. When Jesus raised Jairus' daughter, he said, little girl, get up, in Aramaic, Talitha kum. When Peter had prayed for the dead woman, he turned to her and said, Tabitha, get up, in Aramaic, Tabitha kum. Those two commands are almost identical. Jesus said, Talitha kum, and Peter said, Tabitha kum. This can hardly be a coincidence. These similarities are a clear endorsement of Peter's apostolic ministry. They remind us so much of Jesus that we can't fail to see that Jesus is indeed at work. You know, it's one thing to say that Jesus works through Peter or Paul or that Jesus works through us. We'd be entirely correcting saying that. But when we use that language, it's easy to think of Jesus off at a distance, working by remote control, as it were. But that's not how it is. Uh, 
When Aeneas was healed, Jesus was, was right there with him. When Tabitha was raised from the dead, Jesus was right there in the room. And we can be certain of this because Jesus's his fingerprints, for want of a better word, are all over these two scenes. Both Aeneas and Tabitha are restored to health by the power of Jesus. In the case of Aeneas, Peter says, Jesus Christ heals you. When it came to Tabitha, Peter got down on his knees and prayed. Have you noticed that on both occasions, Peter said, get up, get up. And the word he uses comes from the same verb that is used to describe Jesus being raised from the dead. Jesus got up from the grave. Romans 8 verse 11 reminds us that the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Living in the church, the body of Christ. I'm not talking about the institutional church. I'm not talking about everybody worldwide who goes to church every Sunday. I'm talking about those who truly know and love Jesus, have invited him into their lives and are filled with the Holy Spirit. But so often we don't feel like we're empowered by the same spirit of him who rose Jesus from the dead. We don't necessarily feel like Jesus is with us, working in and through us. I mean, most of the time we feel pretty ordinary, don't we? The day I wrote this sermon, I'd had a terrible morning with the kids. They were playing up. I lost my rag. I shouted. I got myself worked up. And afterwards, I was feeling pretty low. And then I was reading the book of Acts and all these incredible things that the early church did in the name of Jesus. And it would have been easy to think, Well, they were extraordinary people and extraordinary times. Those sort of things aren't going to happen here. But the fact is, those early Christians were very ordinary people, just like you and me. They were ordinary people who put their faith and trust in Jesus and committed themselves to following him wholeheartedly. Repeatedly in the New Testament and in the history of the church, we see that God's power follows faith and commitment. Look at Peter. He had a small fishing village uh, uh, business and he dropped everything to follow Jesus. Uh, in John's gospel, after Jesus' death and resurrection, it's almost as if the disciples aren't really sure what they're meant to be doing. So a few of them go back to the only thing that they know, fishing. But after a night out on the lake, they'd caught nothing. And uh, then Jesus shows up. He tells them to drop their nets on the other side of the boat. And they catch this massive haul of fish. And I'm sure Peter will have been reminded of the time when Jesus said to him, I will make you, I will send you out to fish for people. I will send you out to fish for people. And that's exactly what Peter does. He goes out to fish for people. He goes into full-time ministry. Now, as Christians, we're not all called to go into full-time ministry because there are so many ways that we can serve Jesus in our families, in our communities, in our places of work. We're not all called to go into full-time ministry, but we are all called to be committed followers of Jesus Christ. Acts describes how Peter traveled around the country visiting various Christian communities, teaching them, encouraging them. This wouldn't have been an easy thing for Peter to do. 
Uh, we know that Peter had a wife. Uh, we, Jesus uh, actually healed his mother-in-law on one occasion. He may have had a family, may have had children. It was a big commitment. Not to mention the fact that following Jesus meant risking his very life. And we know that Peter was eventually crucified upside down for proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But so often, or so clearly from the book of Acts, we see that God's power follows faith and commitment. We want it the other way around. We want to see God's power in order to have faith. We think, well, it's all right for Peter. He saw Jesus' miracles. He saw Jesus raised from the dead. We think to ourselves, if I just saw one undeniable miracle, then my faith would be so strong. Then I'd be committed. Then I'd be all in. But that simply isn't true. In Jesus' day, uh, the people were always demanding that Jesus show them a miracle or a sign. And Jesus showed them many signs. But they still crucified him. Because at the end of the day, no miracle is undeniable. When Jesus healed a man born blind, his neighbors saw him and said, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was, including the man himself. Others said, nah, it just looks like him. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, a voice came from heaven saying, I've glorified my name and I will glorify it again. Some thought they'd heard the voice of an angel. Others said, nah, it was only thunder. On the day of Pentecost, when Jesus' followers were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in languages that they'd not learned, there were some in the crowd who accused them of being drunk. Nothing to see here, nothing unusual, just a load of drunk people. People will always look for a natural explanation for a supernatural occurrence. So if we're waiting to see a demonstration of God's power, Jesus' power, before we're willing to trust him completely, then we could be waiting for a very long time. It is our trust and commitment that will lead to Jesus working powerfully in our lives. The world says seeing is believing. Christianity says something different. Christianity says believe and then you will see. The world says don't put all your eggs in one basket. Christianity says we absolutely must put all our eggs in one basket. We must give everything to Jesus. We can't dip our toe into Christianity. We can't dance around the edge of it. We can't have one foot in and one foot out and expect to see Jesus working powerfully in our lives. It's no coincidence that Jesus seems to be especially present with the persecuted church. I once did a placement at a church in Tunis, in Tunisia, and they have a significant problem with Islamic extremism, and uh, a group called the Salafists. And the Tunisian pastor, the, the, the pastor of the Tunisian con- congregation there, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, my congregation are willing to die for Jesus. And that is the reality of their situation. 
there's a charity called Open Doors that supports and resources the persecuted church around the world. And the other day I was on their website and I read, read Rajesh's story. Rajesh was a Hindu living in a village in India and he became very ill with a crippling stomach condition. Uh, he prayed to Hindu gods, nothing changed. But then he heard that his friend's mother had been healed at a local church. So Rajesh went along to the church, he received prayer, he was healed, he became a Christian, he was baptised, and he went back to his village with a DVD about Jesus to share with his whole community. And when the village leaders uh, realised what he was doing, they threatened him and forced him to stop. But this was all in one day. In a single day, Rajesh went from conversion to baptism to evangelism, to persecution. And the persecution intensified. Rajesh and his wife were tied to a tree and beaten with sticks. They were forced to leave their home. They received death threats. They were shamed uh, by the community. But despite all that, despite all that persecution, entire families put their faith in Jesus. In the end, an extremist group, I, I think, uh, if, I'm, if I remember rightly, called the Maoists, were called in and they kidnapped Rajesh and his wife and some other Christians and they took them deep into the jungle and they questioned Rajesh, they interrogated him and Rajesh just shared the good news of Jesus with them and in the end, Rajesh said, look, you can kill us, but know this, we're not going to turn away from Jesus. And amazingly, this notoriously ruthless group of extremists just let this little group of Christians go. And they returned to their village, and over the next three weeks, five more families put their faith in Jesus. The other villagers felt threatened by the growth of Christianity, so they called another meeting, and they questioned the new believers, asked them why they'd become Christians. And the new believers said, we were suffering from sickness. And uh, we went to the doctor, we couldn't get better this couple prayed for us and we found healing. The article continues and uh, all kinds of incredible things happened subsequently, but I think you get the idea. This sounds like it could come straight out of the book of Acts, except for the fact that it's happening today. And should we be surprised that this is happening in a place where people really have to trust Jesus? I mean, really trust Jesus. In a place where being a committed follower of Jesus Christ is to risk one's life. We shouldn't be surprised or envious that these phenomenal things are happening in other parts of the world. Rather, we should be inspired and encouraged to be that kind of church here in Springfield. The founder of the charity Open Doors, a Dutch missionary by the name of Brother Andrew, said this, and it is a direct quote. He said, I think we in the West, and this is a personal confession, I think we are cowards. We want a personal profit come first, and if that is at risk, we won't do anything. We ought to become people of guts, courage, and strong convictions. And don't count our lives dear unto ourselves if only we can fulfill the high calling of God on our lives. I think Brother Andrew is right. But it's not easy, is it? Uh, being faith-filled, being committed, being people of guts, courage, and strong convictions, it's not easy. It's not easy to offer to pray with someone 
who needs to be healed physically. Uh, the, the other day, um, I was here at the school and I was speaking to a dad. Uh, we were picking our daughters up from an after-school club. Everyone else had gone. Our kids were running around. And um, we were having a conversation and he really started to open up to me. And he told me that he was really struggling. Physically, he was very ill. He's struggling emotionally. He's struggling psychologically. And in my heart, I wanted to pray for him. And in my head, I was thinking, well, this could be a bit awkward. What if he doesn't want prayer? What if he thinks I'm being pushy with my faith? What if? What if? See, you're probably thinking, well, Charlie's a pastor. It's easy for him. You know, this stuff comes easily. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. This stuff doesn't come easily to anyone. But in the end, I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, of course. So I put a hand on, my, on his shoulder and I prayed for him and he began to cry. And do you know what he said to me? He said, I've got no friends and nobody else cares apart from my wife. Now, as far as I know, he's not been healed. But he could have been and he still can be. And maybe if he puts his faith in Jesus, he will be. Or maybe he'll be healed and then he'll be put in faith in Jesus. But usually, certainly in the New Testament, it seems to be the other way around. Faith comes before healing. That doesn't mean that someone who isn't healed lacks faith. I think it can mean that, but not necessarily. I, I, I know people who have got oodles of faith who have not been healed. But there is clearly a link between faith and healing. When Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up and roll up your mat, Jesus, Aeneas didn't just sit there and say, huh, really? Are you sure about this? It says he got up immediately. It seems like he was expecting to be healed. I wonder if Aeneas hadn't tried to get up, would he have still been healed? I don't know. Possibly not. But then there's the faith of the person praying for the healing. You know, healings in the New Testament are either done by Jesus or they're done in the name of Jesus, which amounts to the same thing. And they always, well, not always, but usually they follow a command. Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, get up. You know, when I read that, I think that my prayers for healing are really quite lame. You know, someone's suffering with a, a sniffly cold, and you're praying for them, Lord, I pray that this person will be healed. Sometime in the next two weeks would be great. That's pathetic. I think of all the times I've prayed for people to be healed, some have been healed, not always straight away. Others haven't been healed. But I'm beginning to realize that on all of those occasions, I should have exercised more authority. Not my authority, but Jesus's. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can heal you? Yes. Then be healed in the name of Jesus. My personal resolution is not just to pray for people to be healed, but to pray with authority in the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm taking baby steps with this. But hopefully, we're all taking baby steps together as a church. Because every step a baby take, takes contributes to the strengthening of its legs and its body, its motor skills, coordination. The cumulative effect of all those baby steps is a strong, healthy body 
that is able to run. Now, we may not quite be running yet as a church, but I believe that we are heading in that direction. There is no doubt that as a church, our faith and commitment has grown over the last couple of years. I think about uh, some of the amazing answers to prayer we've seen. I think about little Louisa, born at 27 weeks, so tiny and fragile. Her life was in the balance, and Liam and Lena have, have, have shared how they put their faith in Jesus right there in the hospital. And they felt this amazing sense of God's presence, an amazing sense of peace. And here she is today. Or Kirsten's niece, Ruby, who was rushed into ICU with an undiagnosed respiratory problem. She was in a critical condition. I know that a lot of people were praying for Ruby, at least three congregations that I'm aware of. And all of a sudden, she just got better without explanation. She went home in time for Christmas. I've had conversations with lots of people in this church who have experienced healing of one kind or another. So do we just explain these things away? Do we say, well, these things would have probably happened whether or not we prayed? Or do we allow these things to build our faith? Do we recognize that actually they could just be the tip of the iceberg for a church that is taking baby steps towards a more faith-filled and committed life? In the book of Acts, the church risked everything for Jesus. In other parts of the world today, Christians are risking literally everything for Jesus. What do you think would happen if we, as a community, were willing to risk everything for Jesus? We have to imagine what it would look like if we had that level collectively, if we had that level of faith and commitment. Jesus is at at work in the world in and through his church. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But we've got to step out in faith. And we've got to step out together. We've got to become people of guts, courage, and strong convictions. And to be frank, the more we do that, the more we'll have to write home about. There were some spectacular things happening in the early church. And I had a huge impact. When Aeneas was healed, we're told that all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. When Tabitha was raised from the dead, news spread right throughout Joppa. And many people believed in the Lord. Spectacular things are happening in the world today. We've heard about Rajesh and those families that put their faith in Jesus. We've seen incredible things happening within the life of our own church. But none of those things would have happened if Christians were not taking their faith seriously. Well, here at St. Andrews, increasingly, we are taking our faith seriously. And I think we can look forward to seeing Jesus working in and through us in very real and powerful ways. We've, we've already seen the tip of the iceberg and there is so much more to come because God's power follows faith and commitment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we are, as a church, taking baby steps. Father, in the West, we are surrounded by 
unbelief, atheism, skepticism, doubt, ridicule. We pray, Heavenly Father, that our faith as a church will be built. It will grow in spite of that. We pray that we'll have the courage to step out in faith, to pray in confidence, to pray with authority, to pray in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to be strengthened as your people in this place with a mission to this community. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.